this is Carolyn Holly. Welcome to Game Plan for Life with Skip Hall. For the next half hour, you're going to be encouraged and challenged by Skip and his guests as they discuss the game plan for life. In sports, as in life, it's important to have a game plan, and as Skip says, no game plan, no victory. Game Plan for Life is brought to you by the following sponsors. Dutch Bros of Boise, an experience guaranteed to satisfy. McDowell Specialty Repair, Susie Boyle Mortgage Team and Castle and Cook Mortgage, LLC, and Rio Body Center. And now, here's your host, Skip Hall. Welcome to Game Plan for Life. This is your host, Skip Hall. Well, this is part two of our interview with Matt C. Willis. We had a very interesting one last week about how uh, Matt has has moved from a porn addict to a ministry leader. And we're going to do a recap here in just a minute, but we're going to move into uh, some questions and answers that we've gotten from people that I think would be of interest to our listeners as well. But first of all, Matt, welcome back. Thank you very much, my friend. Looking forward to the conversation. <laughs> well, it's, it's great to have you back again. And uh, why don't you do, Matt, a, a recap? And, and by the way, if, if you want to go back and listen to last week's program, just go to 94.1 The Voice, and that, that'll take you to it. But uh, let's do a recap, Matt, from last, last week. Sounds great, my friend. So grew up in a Christian home. A large, loving family uh, stumbled into pornography at the age of 12 to 13. Didn't know what I was getting myself into, but what I began to realize was I had no control over it very quickly. And so in out of my love for the Lord, I was praying. I was reading the Bible. I was doing everything that I knew how to try to escape this, what I would come to realize was an addiction and connected with a pastor he said read the bible and pray more i can tell your heart's in the right place that's all you need to do so i went from reading a bit and praying a bit to reading the bible an hour a day praying 20 minutes a day largely that the lord would deliver me in a miraculous fashion he didn't after about 11 years worth of full-fledged addiction i got married and my wife found out about the addiction and what began was several years worth of incredibly difficult trying to process through our new reality. Mm. And so by God's grace, we got plugged into, I got plugged into a recovery group, a group of men seeking to understand the nature of our struggle who would also confess our sins as first John talks about, as well as having fellowship and community with each other. And through that, I've had the, by God's grace, been able to be sober from pornography for like seven years or so. And over the last year or so, the Lord opened the door for me to begin leading a ministry at our local church geared towards helping men break free from sexual addiction and fall more in love with Jesus. Okay, that that's that's a good recap and uh the, the church we're talking about is 
Faith Community Bible Church at Eustick and Five Mile. Okay, so you, if if you're looking for more information, you you can uh, you can go there. Also, you can go here with me at the station, ninety four point one, the Voice, or you can get to Matt directly, and we'll give that information out at the end of the show. But uh, we've got some questions, Matt, since the last show. Some people had asked some questions and. Like I say, I think these would be important for, for our listeners to hear. So with that recap that you just gave, question number one, should Christian women date or marry men with a porn addiction? You're softballing me, yes, Skip. That's right. So I'll rephrase it as, is it wise for a woman to date or marry? Because we don't want a moral imperative in there. So one There's not going to be a crystal clear yes or no type answer. One of the main things that I would be looking for if I was evaluating spouses would be, do they have a repentant heart? I would not automatically disqualify them just because they struggle with a certain sin, any sin. Right. But do they have a repentant heart? Are they taking tangible steps toward sanctification Mm -hmm. are they willing to be honest about their struggle even with this it's not a guarantee right that much is for sure my encouragement would be for anyone who is in a dating or engagement relationship with someone would be have that conversation ask hey have you ever struggled with pornography masturbation any form of sexual sin. Mm -hmm. You can use the term sexual sin if you're within the church and ask your premarital counselor to dive deep into this topic. I mean, you started the show off by saying we had an interesting conversation last week. I'm pretty sure at least three quarters of that is just because we're talking about a very taboo topic, which by nature makes it interesting. But when you are in a dating or engaged relationship and you are truly pursuing determining if this is the person that you want and feel called to spend the rest of your life with. You have every right to know the full extent of who you're marrying. Mm -hmm. And so my encouragement would be if there's any indication, if there's any question as to whether this person is or has struggling, connect with either a premarital counselor who is skilled in a disclosure process, connect with a uh, sex addiction counselor, CSAT, and say, hey, we're planning on getting married, or at least we're thinking about it, Mm -hmm. and we want to go through a disclosure process. That way, we know who we are as we're entering marriage. Mm -hmm. What you really don't want to have happen is what happened with my wife, Sarah, and myself. Yeah. Where... She asked me a general question. Have you ever struggled with this? My response, it totally caught me off guard. And so I resorted back to my typical defense mechanism Mm -hmm. of lying. That being said, I knew I couldn't just say straight up no. Mm -hmm. So I was like, "Uh, I've seen it before, but it was like way back in Mm -hmm. my past. No, it hasn't been an issue in a long time. Total lie. But when we got married, as we began going through healing within our marriage as this all started coming out. I then struggled for a long time with feeling like, would my wife have married me 
if she knew? And given how deep this addiction was, did she still want to be married to me now? Yeah. Whereas if you can get ahead of it, you can determine the character of the man based on their willingness to have a repentant heart toward the Lord and others, their willingness to do the right thing Mm -hmm. and be honest with you. So those are the things I would look for. I would not automatically rule someone out if they struggle with this particular sin. Okay, good, good, good stuff. Here's the question number two. Should a church member with a porn addiction be church disciplined? Another fun one, my friend. (laughs) I'll start out with two assumptions. One, that we're talking about church members, not just guests. Right. The other assumption is we're talking about a church that practices church discipline across the board Mm -hmm. and is not just entertaining, practicing church discipline in this one topic, because that would be hypocrisy. Right. So first, let's start by defining what it is that we are talking about the term pornography like we think of porn websites right this is the word porn i guess it could be argued it's in the bible in the uh, form of pornia which is the greek word for like sexual sin but pornography goes beyond just on pornographic websites or apps we're talking about anything that causes people to lust to devalue dehumanize the person that god has created essentially separating their soul right. off from their body as something to be lusted after so should we practice church discipline in that topic well if we're practicing it across the board for sins from gossip to adultery to lust to anger sure But you also have to, if we look at the scripture passages that talk about church discipline, let's evaluate like the rationale or the purpose behind it. It seems to be, if you look at Matthew 18, it's talking about you church discipline, someone who refuses to acknowledge and repent of their sin. The main other place that scripture talks about church discipline is in 1 Corinthians 5, where it talks about people who, instead of having a repentant heart, have an arrogant heart. Mm. And so by that measure, yes, if someone is wants to be an active member of the church and is an active member of the church, they are struggling with any sin, including pornography addiction, for example. And they're like, no, nah, I don't think it's really a sin or it is a sin, but I'm not willing to do anything about it then by the same framework that we would say, yes, for any other sin, you should be church disciplined until you come to a point of repentance. Yes, that seems to be, that seems to make sense. The challenge that you'll run into though, that church leaders need to be aware of is for someone who is trapped in sexual addiction, they, for example, myself, I repented on a daily basis. Skip, I knew I was in the wrong, but felt like I was utterly powerless to control it. And so sometimes that manifested itself in confessions to my wife through tears because I was so broken. But part of the challenge with this addiction is it also numbs out your emotions. Mm -hmm. And so 
if you're defining repentance based on your broken heart toward the Lord, it's like, yeah, there were some times in which I was bawling my eyes out, but there were also a lot of times in which I was just so numb. I knew it was wrong, but I was so numb that my wife, for example, who was utterly broken, couldn't identify the level of brokenness that I actually felt yeah, because it wasn't conveyed. And so my encouragement for church leaders is they're building out their statement of faith and their practices as it pertains to church discipline would be if you're going to have church discipline around this topic, provide an alternative for people who are in positions like I was where they genuinely want to pursue freedom, but don't know how Yeah, they're genuinely repentant, but don't know how to make that repentant heart last more than five minutes Mm, in that going back to our conversation last week typically will look like having groups where men can gather with other men women with other women who have similar struggles and can express the gospel to them in the form of hearing them out not how could you why would you oh my goodness that's the worst thing in the no hear them out express love, care, support, and encouragement Mm -hmm. for them, move toward an understanding of the nature of the struggle and continue in community. Mm -hmm. That's what the gospel is. That's what the church in all areas of sin, I think there's vast opportunity for improvement as far as like, how do you actually remain in communication with someone deep enough and long enough that you're making meaningful ground towards sanctification in any sin? Okay, good, good stuff. Question number three from this person. I would like to know how radical parents can minimize the possibility of porn addiction for sons from ages 10 to 18. I assume by radical, we're talking about a parent willing to do anything to keep their child from Sounds like it. pornography addiction. Mm-hmm. So again, I'll split this up by way of defining terms from how do you prevent a child from i think it was 10 to 18 right from exposure to pornography and how do you prevent them from getting trapped in addiction because those things can be isolated Mm -hmm. so let's start out from a chronological standpoint how i would recommend approaching this start conversations at a young age obviously making them age appropriate, but within the church, we need to understand that sex, sexuality should not be taboo topics. Scripture talks a lot about sex. Oh yeah. It talks a lot about erotic sex. Mm -hmm. All of this is only taboo in the church, not with God, Mm -hmm. not in scripture. And we also, as adults, especially parents, it's vital that we understand the purpose that God gave behind marriage around sex. If you ask the average adult, even within the church, why did God create sex? They'll probably say procreation, which isn't wrong. But if we actually dig into scripture and we read, for example, Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter five, he talks about it's not just about procreation. It's about a sign. It's pointing forward to the marriage supper of the lamb. It's a reminder that God, the perfect creator of this universe, wants to marry 
his broken church. Mm. And so what is sex? Sex is a celebration of the unity between Christ and the church. See, sex and marriage are supposed to be these amazing, joy-filled things. But in the church, so often we just talk about, don't do this, don't do that. Instead of understanding the why. The why is because it's so much more. Marriage and sex is so much more than what this world believes them to be. Where it treats sex like animals. Do it with whoever you want. It doesn't really matter. It's like, no! It's the unity of souls coming together, pointing toward Christ and his church. Mm -hmm. Now, if that's our frame of reference, and we believe that our primary mission as parents is to disciple our children, doesn't it make sense that something of that much importance in scripture and with the Lord should be worked into our primary call of parenting, which is discipleship? Of course. Right. Now we need to make that obviously age appropriate. And there are books that are really skilled in how to do that. But it's imperative that we start that conversation at a young age. And again, in an age appropriate fashion, it's imperative that the parents lead with vulnerability. If they take the approach of how dare you struggle with fill in the blank type of sin. And it's primarily, and they are called to discipline bad behavior that doesn't align with Christ's intent for them, Mm -hmm. of course. But if they come across as though they're just disciplining you and meanwhile they have it all figured out and the kids will observe that guess what? They don't have it all figured out. And so by being vulnerable from parent to kid that I don't have it all figured out including again when age appropriate sharing with your children hey i noticed you doing a double take as this person passed by i want you to know i also struggle to keep my eyes where they should be and begin that as a conversation instead of how dare you how could you which by the way those words never show up in scripture instead it's hey I'm right there with you. I love you. And I want to walk through this with you. It's oftentimes said that addiction, the opposite of addiction is connection. And by having that kind of a posture towards our kids, we promote connection and we become more approachable, not if, but when they have additional questions. The alternative is, like in my situation where I had a whole bunch of questions, I felt shamed by my parents. And so I felt like, okay, so I may as well go to Google and ask the questions, which quickly led down a spiral. So promoting vulnerability and transparency within the parent-child relationship is going to be absolutely vital. Mm-hmm. In addition, so let's talk about how do we prevent them from accessing pornography. We live in a world that information is transferred quicker and more prevalently than ever before, which means we're not just fighting against our kids' access to pornography websites. There is images that can be lusted after on social media, on news sites, Mm -hmm. on most apps across the board. And so, again, that's why I started with 
We need to be able to connect with our kids on a heart level and allow them to know that we are safe to approach. That way, when they have questions, when they have struggles, they can come to us. Now, we're not going to be able to forever and ever prevent them from having access to anything that would have pornographic or lustable content on it. Mm -hmm. However, my encouragement to parents would be go against the grain. Install their blockers, their filters that you can put on computers and laptops that have screen monitoring built in that can send to an accountability person. My encouragement would be to have that on all devices in the home. Again, that way there's consistency across the board and it doesn't come across as hypocrisy. And it also can prevent some layers of ease of access to some of the more extreme content. Additionally, my recommendation, so often what I hear from the men that I connect with on this topic is they were exposed at a very young age, oftentimes because they were given access to a smartphone at a young age or like me, had a computer in my bedroom. So there are very simple, basic things that you can do, such as not making, giving them access to technology at a young age where they can ever access it on their own. Ultimately, it is our role as parents to lead in a, as biblical parents. They're, the salvation of our children is not in our hands. And so that is my encouragement to all of the parents who would be listening is fulfill your role as biblical parents in boldness. And one of the things that oftentimes holds parents back from having these difficult conversations, part of why it feel, can feel so awkward is because oftentimes there is unconfessed sin that the parent or parents are dealing with and they fear if I approach this topic, that could risk opening my can of worms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's such great stuff, man. Now we've got time. Uh, we got about four minutes left. We got time for at least one more question and another tough one here. Um, with the command to expose our sin through repentance to God, should we also confess to another brother or sister in Christ for, and very likely, our own spouses if there is sexual sin? So not just confession to God, but inviting another person. So some of that I addressed in last week's where I talked about the imperative of not only confessing to the Lord, which is imperative, but also, as First John talks about, confessing to other brothers, or if you're a woman confessing to other sisters who are willing and able to not only hold you accountable, but also to encourage you in your journey. Mm -hmm. So I'll spend the remaining two and a half minutes that we have left talking about, is it imperative to confess to one spouse when one spouse is mm -hmm. present? As we talked about early on, God created marriage as a symbol of his desire to marry his church and the unity that he desires between the two. So if we are not confessing to our spouse, how can we have any hope that there will be unity? Because there won't be a mutual understanding of who we're fighting against, Satan, the flesh. Mm -hmm. And we won't be linking arms to fight against that because we don't know what we're fighting against. Mm -hmm. 
Additionally, the at least in my story, my wife has been a huge asset in helping me understand the nature of my flesh in that like not long ago, I confessed to her, Hey, this happened. I did this. I don't know what my intentions were to be honest, but I felt within myself that I should let you know, because I really felt like I didn't want to let you know. And she has been a part of my story for long enough that she was able to help me understand the nature of my sinful heart in this specific situation And it led to a phenomenal intimacy building conversation. So yes, if our desire is to have as deep of a relationship and as meaningful of a marriage as possible, it's imperative that we have unity in all areas of our life, especially the culmination of marriage, which is the celebration of sex. Mm -hmm. Now I will caveat it in closing that What, as my wife and I are ministering to couples who are struggling in this area, it's not terribly uncommon that the spouse who has been betrayed expresses the need for space. They'll say, I can't bear hearing what they're doing to, you know, act out. I don't want to know. And there is a time and a place where we need to be okay with that. That needs to be the betrayed spouse's prerogative. For example, myself, when I was in the midst of addiction, I were to say, hey, you can't handle that. No, that's not my place. Mm -hmm. If the betrayed spouse says, I can't handle this, that's fine for a time as both parties are pursuing healing. But that puts the onus even more so on the addicted spouse to pursue healing, community, fellowship and opportunities for confession mm-hmm. among other brothers yeah. or yeah. other sisters, yeah. if it's a woman, yeah. with the yeah. goal of coming back together as right. a couple. Right. Man, this is such good information. And thank you once again for coming in and sharing with us. But please give us, Matt C. Willis, give us your contact information. Yeah. Anything ministry related, you can send to matt.charles.willis at gmail.com. And if you're a woman who is struggling or a woman who has been betrayed, you can reach out to my wife who helps with the women's side of the ministry. And her email address is Sarah with an H dot Marie dot Willis at gmail.com. Okay. Well, listen, we're looking forward to some great (laughs) response from people and hopefully great help to those that are hurting right now. But, uh, Matt, thanks again for coming in. We'll talk about bringing you back. We've got some other topics we want to share. So thank you again for being a guest on Game Plan for Life. Appreciate it, my friend. You bet. Game Plan for Life is brought to you by the following sponsors. Christian Brothers Automotive. Security Gold and Silver, a reliable source for your bullion investment. Domino's Pizza. Diamond Heating and Cooling. Hoffman Auto Body. Someone you can trust. And Zero Edge Carpet Cleaning. Thank you for listening to Game Plan for Life with Skip Hall. This is Carolyn Holly inviting you to listen at this same time on this same station next Saturday as Skip and his guests go over the Game Plan for Life. Have a great weekend. And remember, no game plan, no victory. 